Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kank. A disappointing loss for Philly going down 118-116 to the Milwaukee Bucks. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me, one of the people behind some of the magic you see at libertyballers.com, Mr. Jackson Frank. Jackson, what are your thoughts on that game? Because the Sixers, everything looked great through three quarters. And then we saw the non-Harden and Embiid minutes kind of <laughs> set up the collapse and it happened again. So what, what were your thoughts? on that on that fourth quarter there yeah i mean you you kind of saw you kind of saw that stirring right you know uh harden was good in the the third quarter to close it um but Giannis was really picking up steam. Giannis was great all night but he was picking up steam in that third quarter and then uh they come out in the fourth and they run some tobias harris and tyrese maxi led minutes and Giannis just absolutely feasts for a couple minutes and then i think the game is what a two two point game three point game when when heart or an mb comes back with about 920 to go i think maybe mm-hmm. 40 to go um so yeah i mean you you can't blame it all on coaching because i i you know i'm sure if i went and scrutinized things from from the bucks behalf there would be things that maybe people are frustrated with coach budenholzer but um yeah that, that was a pretty costly stretch but you know what we were talking about before we recorded i i feel like i've been i, I try not to be overly optimistic about things but like i think you have to be you have to. You would love. It would have been great if you're a Sixers fan, if you're with the, within the organization, to have won one of these last couple of games. But you have to feel okay, right? You 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 blow out the Clippers, who have been struggling. But that's still been a solid team. Uh, you are within a couple of minutes of you know you're pushing the the Suns in, in a close game on Sunday on the road, and then you're you're a player two away from beating the reigning champs. And I know the Bucks have been up and down, and, and whatnot. But those are two back to back games against really really good teams. And even when the Bucks kind of turned it on and put kind of shifted into championship mode, um, you know, they threw, threw Drew, on, Drew on James Harden, that gave him some issues. And, you know, Giannis was a little more involved in some plays and whatnot. They still had a chance to win. So, yeah, obviously, you know, you can't, there's no moral victories, but the process I think has been pretty encouraging. And that's kind of what at least I'm looking for as the Sixers continue to adapt to this new version of themselves with, with Harden in the fold. But Obviously, I know as a fan, there's not really necessarily any solace in losing these games, especially one like today that has pretty big implications for seeding. Yeah, and we'll we'll jump into into what the standings look like and and the seeding stuff a bit later on. But yeah, it's funny, Jackson. Like this game, it had a multitude of emotions from a Sixers place because the Bucks went on that 14-0 run early in the first quarter. They got up by 10. And my first thought was, uh oh, you know, hopefully this isn't like we saw against the Brooklyn Nets when Ben Simmons was on the bench or, or Boston Celtics game where it just got away from them right away against, you know, a, a very good team in Brooklyn 
albeit struggling, still does have Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving. But um, that, the Sixers, there was encouraging stuff. They, they started getting going. They started coming back. Like you mentioned, James Harden was great in the first quarter. He had 12 points. And then, then they kind of got back into the game. And the Sixers looked really, really good, especially in that second quarter as well. And, and to me, it came down to a couple of things. One, the Sixers were 9-16 to from the three-point line at one point in the first half, ended up shooting 16-41, to so went 7 of, 30, uh, 7 of 35, pardon me, or 7 of 25 the, the rest of the way there. And they had a ton of open looks. And you're looking at what they were doing on the offensive end. Tobias Harris, another guy, played well overall, had 22 points, 11 boards, 6 dimes, but struggled from the three-point line. And although he looked very assertive, uh, wasn't overthinking it, catching and shooting right away, those misses hurt. And, and also, I know you were saying this, Jackson, that looking at the coaching side of things, I didn't like what I saw at the end. You had two timeouts where you were within a point or two points there at the end and couldn't drop anything to get an open look. You know what I mean? They just went with a simple Harden and Bede pick and roll that resulted in, in, in a tough look for, for Embiid. And then on the the final possession, basically where the goaltending, non-goaltending, the goaltending call happened, but it was it was incorrect and they overturned it. It was another, it, was, it wasn't a very good look. Like, do you think Doc and, and the coaching staff should maybe be looking at trying to get better shots and at least open looks coming out of timeouts? Because this is one thing I noticed with like, you know, the Warriors during their hey, heyday, Steve Kerr would always drop something coming out of a timeout that resulted in a good look. It might not go in, but it was an open shot. And that's something I want to see more out of from Doc and the coaching staff going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what came to mind when this game was in crunch time and it was a two-point game, three-point game, whatever it is, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to entirely like blame Doc. You're not, you're not saying that otherwise, but um, kind of the difference in execution offensively these last couple of games in crunch time. Um, whether it was, you know, the, the Sixers cut into one against the Suns and then every look the, the Suns get after that is, is great in crunch time when the Sixers, it feels like more of a slog. Or, you know, even today, the Bucks they got a bunch of good looks out of ETOs and um, and they got they got great looks at the, I don't know how late it was, but that, that lob to Giannis was a really, really nice play. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that too was hard and struggled to run a screen there, which gave Drew a little runway. But um, stuff like that, I think it is somewhat a reflection of, of coaching and in in a lot in most of these games, the Sixers are going to be at a disadvantage on the sidelines. Um, you look at a team like the Bucks, the Heat, um, you know the Suns, you know even the Grizzlies or the Warriors. Um, you feel like you're you're probably. I mean, I know the, the Grizzlies less so just because we don't know a ton about Taylor Jenkins in a playoff environment. But I feel like he's he's a better coach than Doc, just based on you know my perspective. You're just going to be at a disadvantage, and that that's a huge bummer for the Sixers when you can, you can really scheme things to kind of put your best players in the best positions. And that doesn't really feel like the case very often with the Sixers in these last couple of games. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's just two games, but like, you know, I've, I've witnessed the doc rivers experience up close for two seasons now almost. And this is kind of a routine thing where it doesn't often feel like they make plays in crunch time because of the, the calls that doc is putting out there. Um, it kind of feels like the opposite. And credit to Doc, you know, as well. There's been times where I think he's done some really good things, but, but yeah, I think the difference in execution and quality of looks and crunch time his last couple of games does should give you some pause and some worry, you know, about kind of where exactly the Sixers can go with Doc Rivers calling the shots. Yeah, and and, and going back to that, the non-Harden and Bead minutes there to start the fourth, where the Sixers were outscored ten to four in less than three minutes. Obviously, we're struggling with Maxi and, and Harris out there and Giannis, as you mentioned, uh, ended up scoring 15 in a row at that point, really bought the, the Sixers back. And he was great. I mean, 40 points, 14 rebounds, uh, obviously made that big defensive play at the end against Embiid. But when you're when you're looking at, at 
how Doc maybe ran the rotations at that point. Did you want to see him maybe try and, and get Embiid back in sooner or maybe look at giving uh, Harden some extra minutes there? Like, how would you have handled that? Or would you think that he could have done something differently during that time? Because really, like I said, the Sixers were up 15 at one point in the third, 13, when, um, when Giannis started taking over. And there was just nothing they could do to stop the bleeding at that point. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look. Like after this game, I, I do want to you know after we stop recording and whatnot, I do want to look at some of kind of the how the staggers have been because to Doc's credit, like he at least has tried a bunch of different stuff. I'm not saying that it's all worked, but you know early on it was always one of them being Harden on, and then you know they sometimes they've gone Maxi and Harden and Maxi and, and Harris and and Joel and Tobias and and whatnot. So I, and I I think I saw maybe a week or so a lot of the numbers whenever the starting five hasn't been intact haven't been great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of reassess that. I know maybe the last three or four games, like, like you mentioned, they've going, they've been really tying and beating Harden's minutes together. So, um, obviously I, I don't, I don't support the idea of one of your two stars or superstars being off the floor at any point, especially kind of in a moment like that, where it felt like things were, were swinging in favor of, um, of, of, of the bucks. But I also do wonder like, you know, how much is that like, is that something do Harden and did it Harden and Bead maybe is that something they they initiate like a conversation they initiated to change substitution patterns and, and is it is it plausible to adhere to one rotation in the first half and then change it up like is that going to screw them out of rhythm I'm not I'm not trying to like absolve Doc of responsibility I'm just trying to search for me why things happen a certain way but uh, yeah I would not have gone with those minutes without one of your two stars out there especially when they're playing well. And, you know, Tobias was great in the first half. He wasn't quite as good in the second half. Maxie was struggling all night um, for the most part offensively. So um, just just a tough decision there. I would get it if Maxie was having one of his great scoring outbursts, but um, kind of the size and length of the Bucks gave him some issues. You saw him get blocked on a tough, a tough audacious attempt against Giannis on a switch on a jumper there. So um, didn't support it, but I do kind of wonder what, kind of how he is approaching all this, because like I said, to his credit, he's at least been throwing a bunch of different rotations at the wall and seeing if anything sticks. But right now, not much has stuck beyond the starting five being quite good for the most part. Yeah, Maxi, as, as you mentioned, they're not obviously one of his his better games in this one, only finished with, what is it there, seven seven points, I think it was on, uh, yeah, seven, seven points on three and 11 shooting. Um, and you mentioned that too. He was, he was having a tough time with some of the shots that he's, we've seen him make in terms of getting to the paint and, and being able to shoot over, over defenders or being able to do that little stop and pop that he does where he, where he fades away, just wasn't able to, to get that going in this one. And that, that hurt that second unit too. Um, when he was out there with, with guys like Danny green, George Niang, Shake Milton. Uh, one more thing about, about Doc, and then we'll, we'll get into some other topics here surrounding the Sixers in the bigger picture. But looking at this, interestingly, decided to go with Paul Millsap over DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan didn't play a single minute in this game, although Paul Millsap honestly was pretty pointless. If you look at his stat line, pretty much zero across the board except for a steal. Uh, misses only field goal attempt. But when you're looking at this, and this has been such an issue for the Sixers for so long now, that backup center spot, would you have wanted to see Paul Reed maybe get some run here? Because again, if they just got something or anything out of, out of Millsap, maybe it would have changed the complexion of this game in terms of getting a bucket or two. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, at the very least, I I think it would have been worthwhile to try Paul Reed as like a helper. Like it, like, because Mil- like when they put Millsap out there, they are just so small and slow and not long, right? Like mm-hmm. Embiid and Maxi and Matisse are kind of their three, quickest rangiest players obviously the, the latter two are small guys um but like 
the way to stop Giannis is not just put one guy on him and say, you're going to contain him. The, the way is to kind of deter him from driving and force him to stop and pivot and do something other than option A. And it, it might, it might not work. Like Giannis has gotten so good with so many counters that it doesn't matter, but like he just had zero issue score on Millsap. And, <laughs> and when Niang was in there, even Tobias was on him. Like he thought a little more about things because Joel was in there and he maybe had to settle for some jumpers and to Giannis's credit, he hit a bevy of ridiculous, impressive jumpers that he's really been hitting this year. Um, but everything felt so easy in those Millsap minutes. So I would have at least liked to see Paul out there, excuse me, Paul Reed out there with, you know, his, he's a little bit, he's much better laterally. He's, he's more instinctual and, and quicker at this point of his career in terms of making stuff happen defensively, you know, as a playmaker. So um, definitely would have gone with him. And I just, I saw a tweet that says he almost considered going with Paul Reed which, you know, I don't think that gives any any reprieve to Sixers fans. It means nothing <laughs> at this point. Like, um, and I, I honestly, I don't even expect Paul Millsap to continue getting minutes. Um, I think it was just a matter of he's, I guess, less immobile than DeAndre Jordan. Not, I'm not going to say more mobile because that implies that you know, there's, there's a level of perimeter mobility that is useful in this matchup. But, um, yeah, I think you like you got to try something. And I, I don't expect it to happen. Doc has clearly shown an affinity to to veterans over his, his career and during his time in Philadelphia. But um, I don't know if it would have made a difference, but I, I could have told you that this is how it would have gone. And the, I don't know what the matchup data says, but I could have told you based on the eye test, that's about how the honest first Paul Millsap minutes would have gone. And I think everyone else who's watched the Sixers and Paul Millsap consistently this year could have told you the same. And so um, to say, oh, yeah, we might have gone. We, I, I almost considered it. I think probably looks worse than it does good in terms of coaching decisions there. So uh, yeah, I think Paul Reed at the very least deserved one, one shot. And if he blew his four minutes, then take him out, but not even give him minutes to, and you know what Mamilsap is, uh, you know, I think is definitely a, a misstep in Doc's, uh, in Doc's uh, side of things. It's, it's, it's funny because you look back at that November game when Embiid was out and, and the Bucks beat the Sixers and, you know, the Sixers hung tight that, that whole way through that game. Uh, until the end, got got blown out in the fourth quarter. Got scored twenty seven to sixteen in that one. But Paul Reed played a lot, and he did a decent job on Giannis, and and you know was making it tough on him. He's at least an active rebounder. And and again, in a two point game, I'm not going to say Paul Reed would have won the game, but I mean he might have been able to make a play or two that maybe changed the complexion at the end there. Whether that was getting an offensive rebound. Uh, getting to the free throw line, just something. Whereas Paul Millsap, like you see that play at the end of the third Jackson where Giannis literally took two dribbles with five seconds left and scored. It's like, he just made Paul Reed like, look like he was just like an 80 year old man. Like he had no business being out there at that point. So uh, I think once you see that and then Doc deciding to continue to go with him in the fourth, I think those kind of decisions in a game like this, those little things are going to impact you. And, 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 you know, you're looking at this for the big picture stuff for the Sixers. There's a lot of good things. Um, we'll talk about Harden quickly here before we jump into a break where I mentioned he had 12 points in the first quarter, 32 points overall, uh, his highest scoring output since joining the Sixers, nine assists as well. He looked a lot better just in terms of trying to get to the rim, uh, in terms of taking his three-point shot. Where do you think that, why do you think he's he's maybe looked a little bit more spry over, over the last two or three uh, games here? And, and do you think that hamstring issue is starting to get a little bit better for him too? Yeah, I, I can't. I can't speak to the health side of things. I know. I, I think I saw maybe in the last game when he we struggled, he was maybe going to it one one time, maybe late in the game. Um, but I thought what he did well today was, you know, initially he kind of drove the lane a little bit. Um, you know, got, got kind of working downhill, and then he just blended things so well. Whether it was the footwork, the handle, the burst looks better than I think it did um, against the Suns. And the Suns obviously have you know a, a preeminent wing defender, Mikael Bridges, who 
Um, wasn't on him the entire game. They switched a lot, but had some really nice sequences against against Harden. Um, but just blended things so well. And I, I didn't, you know, I think one of the issues with Harden, even before, like even before he joined the Sixers this year, maybe even last year at times, was he's had trouble kind of blending the playmaking with the scoring. Like he doesn't, he just doesn't quite for whatever reason be able, he can't quite like merge them. But tonight I felt like that wasn't really an issue at all. He was making good reads to Joel in the pick and roll, hitting step back threes, you know, making, making the dish when, when two guys are thrown out of me and they were in kind of those pick and pops, those slide screens, the shooter, he was making the read there. Um, I thought that all, all was pretty good. You know, it was up and down defensively, but I didn't think he was awful. I thought he had some nice plays, um, you know, rotating inside, blocked that three that was really nice on a closeout. Um, so I, I just thought he kind of, everything he does well offensively get generating paint touches, making plays for others, getting that step back three, um, getting inside, drawing fouls. All of it was kind of in harmony tonight. And I don't think that's always been the case this year, um, even with Brooklyn. So um, that was encouraging. But what, and I don't want to like necessarily be negative, but you do have some worry that once the, you know, when he came back with about eight minutes to go, the bucks, you know, threw drew holiday on him and um, he, he struggled. I, you know, I think they, they ran some pick and rolls late in the game, but he wasn't able to turn the corner seamlessly there, but, um, overall, really, really good game for Harden. I think I think it's his best game in a in a hard in a Sixers uniform. I think Dallas would be second, and maybe that first Knicks game, third. But um, you have to be encouraged by him. But I do kind of want like, was it just some shot making variants in that fourth quarter, um, or or was Drew and a couple other guys doing you know some things to do bother him? But overall, a really, really good game. And it just stemmed from him. It didn't feel like he had to pick and choose his skills to kind of tap into. It just felt like they all were we're on a string tonight. And that's, that's really important. That's what made Harden an, an MVP winner a couple of years back or four years back and a superstar for so many years. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, don't have a ton of time to, to work it all out. He missed the first week, you know, with the team trying to get his hamstring, right. There's only seven games left to go now. So hopefully they can continue to build and, and, and get better uh, with Harden in the lineup. One more thing, Jackson, before we hop into a break here, that call at the end where Giannis got the, like I said, the, the goaltending that was, that was then taken down and, and basically they had to jump ball at center with 1.6 seconds left. Should there not have been like three seconds on the clock there? Yeah. That's what I was confused about. Like, I, I don't, I'm not going to act like I know the exact rules, but I would have thought there, and I, I think maybe I don't, was hard maybe asking about that at the end. I couldn't tell if he was asking for a foul or whatnot, you know, when they jumped the ball and he couldn't get a shot off there, but yeah, I thought it would have been retroactively, you know, set back to to three seconds whenever the block happened rather than loose ball. Um, so, but I don't know. I'm not I'm not a rules expert. Um, but at the end, I mean, at the end of the day, like that's just such an incredible play from Giannis. Yeah. Uh, in, in an absolutely dominant game from him. But like again, I'm not I'm not positive, but that my instinct would tell me that, or my logic my logic side of things, the logical logical part of my brain would tell me that you would set it back to when the block occurred, not when the, not when they decided to look at the play, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that rule works. Um, and, and I mean, and, and that's, you know, it's, you're, you're not saying otherwise, you're not saying they would have won otherwise, but 1.6 after, you know, when the ball, the, once the hand touches it, that's when the clock runs, at least you get a couple more dribbles at least. And there are, there are worse guys, there are worse long range shooters to have the ball in the hands of a, on a final play than someone like Harden to, to let it, let it fly there. So uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they're supposed to that back. That's my, my thought, but I, I don't know for sure, really. Yeah, again, I, I'm not saying that would have been like, oh, Harden would have made the shot. I just, just would have gave him an opportunity to at least maybe get a dribble or or two mm-hmm. and 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 chuck up something to to that may, might go in. You know, whatever the chances are, ten percent, whatever five percent, but they at least would have gotten a look. Uh, let's talk about the bigger picture stuff. The Sixers follow the standings. They're going to have their work cut out for them now if they want to try and get to that top seed. We'll do that after a short break. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jackson, checking out the NBA Eastern Conference standings right now. With the loss, the Sixers fall down to number four. They're a game and a half behind Miami, uh, now a full game behind Milwaukee, although with the win, the Bucks have the tiebreaker over the Sixers. So if it turns out that that's a tie, the Sixers really have to make up two games uh, on the Bucks right now. And again, there's a whole bunch of moving parts. Uh, they're a win behind the the Celtics in the, in the win column. They're only one behind there. Where do you think this ends up? Because I, you know, I, I don't know why I weirdly at the end of the season, like I, I'll check the standings like 42 times a day and just try and do the, uh, do the math in my mind. But looking at this and I was thinking this too, I'm like the Sixers ideally from my, from my perspective should finish either one, three or four reason being, if you're at one, you're obviously going to get a team like, and I, I this is assuming Brooklyn wins the, the play-in game and, and gets the seven spot that you're going to be looking at the Cavs, Hornets or Hawks as a potential first round opponent. None of those teams are pushovers. They would still be a tough series, but you're avoiding Brooklyn. And then you maybe have to beat two of the upper echelon teams rather than, than three, depending on where you put Brooklyn. And then if you finish as the, as the three seed, the Raptors are playing very, very good right now, but they might be able to overtake the bulls. And I think that would be a great matchup. If, if the Sixers get the, get the bulls in the first round, who is currently their, their opening, uh, opening round matchup. But where do you think the Sixers end up now? Because that was the last time the Sixers played really a good team, um, a top uh, upper echelon team the rest of the season. They have the easiest strength of schedule in the NBA. They do have a, a game against the Raptors and the Cavs. And as I mentioned, the Hornets coming up as well. But then you got a combined four games against the Pistons, Pistons and Pacers, pardon me. So where do you think they'll end up ultimately in the Eastern Conference standings? Yeah, I I mean, I, I'd really have to kind of map it out. Honestly, to give you a grand try to look at all the teams that are, you know, the, those top four teams that are in the running for that, that top spot. Um, but, but I, man, it's, I mean, you look at it, you just kind of, I mean, like you said, the Sixers have the easiest remaining to the schedule. Um, Miami 13th uh, easiest, or excuse me, they're 13th hardest. Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee 10th hardest. My uh, Boston is it way up there and they just lost Rob Williams. Um, they're, they have the fourth hardest. So um I, I'll just I'll just say second. I I would I'd really have to map it out to give you a definitive answer, but I'll just say I think they'll jump they'll jump a couple of those teams. Um, like I mean, like the, the Raptors and, and Hornets have been playing pretty good basketball recently. The, the Cavs not so much. I think you win two of those, maybe you lose one of them, and then you should so six and one. I would say would be my kind of guess to end this stretch. Six are close, fifty two and thirty, and then you know so to catch anyone really to catch Milwaukee, you got to go. They got to go four and three. Or yeah, four and three. Um, mm-hmm. Milwaukee, that could happen. To catch Boston, you gotta go. They gotta go five and two or worse, or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's what I'll say. But it's just it's just kind of a guess. But as, I mean, it is the Sixers are in an advantageous spot to where they can kind of maneuver things a little bit. But the and I will say I I don't think they should be avoiding any team. I think that's a really poor way to ever look at it. If you think you can win a title. You should be able. You should be bringing on anyone. 
The only reason that I would say that maybe you're trying to avoid a team until a later stage is just because you're still so early in the partnership of this Embiid Harden era, right? So that mm-hmm. like that would be a case that I could get. But to like say, oh, maybe we want to see if someone else can take out the Nets or the Bucks or the Celtics, like I don't want to hear that. I think if you're a title contender, then you you just play who's in front of you. But I could hear the argument for let's just try and get as much time as possible to assimilate this new kind of core we have. But any sort of hoping someone else takes out a great team, I I think that's that's a poor mindset. Poor mindset. And I'm not saying that that you or the Sixers are adhering to that, but I, I know that's kind of sometimes happens around this time of year, and I think it's a a poor way to look at things. And so, um, if you if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best, and you you got to be able to beat any of these top four teams and your top five, I guess. Let's include Brooklyn, who um, ended up squeaking out against the Pistons, but it has generally looked much better the last ten to twelve games. So. I'll say second, but it's set. They'll finish second, the Sixers, but I, I don't feel great about it. It's just kind of a, a guess. Who, which of the teams do you want the Sixers to play in the, in the first round? If you're looking at it just for a matchup, like Cleveland, Chicago, are, are those the two teams you'd be looking at? Charlotte, like Atlanta, if you had to pick one to kind of be the best first round matchup for the Sixers, who, who would you, who would you want them to play? I think if you, if, I think if you get to include Charlotte, it's gotta be them, right? Like they've, they don't really have an interior presence to, to bother Embiid. Um, they're really kind of just dis- disjointed um, defensively with their switching and their principles and they go zone a lot, but it's not a really cohesive zone. Uh, and the offense is quite good, but I think if you can kind of tame them in transition, which admittedly is not a six or strong suit, um, you enforce them to play in the half court, you can slow them down there. Um, I think, you know, I think a guy like Matisse could really kind of bother Lamelo. I think kind of, you know, MB could really shut things down in the pan. I, think the, I don't know if they still do, but at one point the Hornets were like kind of the top rim frequency team in the NBA. And that's good for Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid is one of the best rim protections in the NBA. So um, that would be my first pick. But then I'd go, I'd go Chicago and then Cleveland. Um, I think Chicago has really struggled as of late. Um, we don't know if Lonzo's ever going to come back, unfortunately. Um, it's, I know a couple weeks ago, a week ago, he wasn't responding well. And maybe some of the, the steps they're trying to take in his rehab, which is unfortunate, uh, you know, all the best to him, of course. Uh, and I know Cleveland, you know, is, is kind of stumbling as well, but I do think that, and I know that Embiid has had his way even against when Mobley and Al have both been out there, but I don't love the idea of Harden having to drive the lane against those two good guys and Embiid having to work in the post against those two you know, all, all defensive caliber guys, borderline all defensive caliber players. So um, I would go in terms of easiest to hardest of those three, I would go Charlotte, Chicago, and Cleveland for me. But I think all of them would be ones the Sixers could win in, in six games or fewer, really. I don't, I don't really have much hesitancy there. But everyone else, I don't think it's just a, a crapshoot those Sixers. Like, I think the Sixers would beat Toronto, but I don't think it's a, a walk in the park. Um, and everyone else, I, don't, I wouldn't bet. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it at all. Um, just because everyone else is such a high quality matchup at this point. When you look at those top three teams and we can even include, include Brooklyn in that as well, because I don't think anybody, you know, taking on Kevin Durant in a seven game series is, is a nightmare. The guy can, you know, he's the best scorer in, in the NBA. Um, but you're looking at Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, which of those teams do you think is the worst matchup for, for the Sixers? Oh man, that's tough. I like, I think if you would have asked me three days ago, I would have said Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the Robert Williams thing changes the calculus, which is really unfortunate for them. Uh, I will go Milwaukee um, just because what was weird today in this game was early on, they were having Giannis on Matisse and it gave the Sixers huge issues offensively. And then they just stopped guarding Giannis with Matisse when their minutes overlapped. 
so I think that would really kind of give the Sixers some issues. Miami, I know, like, I'm not trying to, like, overstate a four-game losing streak, but I don't trust Miami's half-court offense enough, and I think at the point of attack, they have some issues. So um, I would, I think Milwaukee would be the hardest right now, and then Boston, even without Robert Williams, and then Miami. But, again, I don't, I don't like, I would probably pick them to beat Miami and Robert Williams list Boston, but um, it's not, it's, I mean, I could be wrong, but that could be a, a freezing cold take in, in three weeks or a month or whatever. <laughs> Um, but I just, I just, I just have a lot of confidence in Milwaukee. And like I said, even though today's game was great, that was like, if we're going to talk about what the, maybe the Bucks head coach, you know, and, but, and, and Budenholzer kind of, you know, gave us a bone or gave the Sixers a bone, excuse me, not us, my goodness. Um, I don't even know why I said that, but, um, that game was draining. That game was draining. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's funny. <laughs> people say that when they're a fan, but usually I just, I just cover the team, but anyhow, that would be something that the six, the Sixers were kind of a bone was thrown their way. It was the fact that they just stopped having Giannis play that Roma role that was really given the Sixers issues and the pick and roll and whatnot. So, um, I just I just trust them to turn it on. I've seen at times they've looked really good defensively for stretches. I know it hasn't been great recently, but any team that's going to have a Drew Holiday, Giannis, Brooke Lopez defensive core, I think it's going to have a pretty high ceiling there. So um, I, I just think that's kind of the team to beat, uh, despite despite having three really fun games this year um, between the six. But I think that'd be a great series. I, I want to see it. We've kind of been itching to see it ever since um, maybe that Christmas, maybe one of that. I think maybe that's that St. Patrick's Day game in the Jimmy Butler season. I don't know if you remember that, but really great game. The, the Sixers end up winning. We haven't gotten a playoff series between them yet, and I would love to see it. Um, and I think it'd be a really, really fun one. Um, but then that also plays into the fact that Bucks would have a, a sizable tactical advantage with, with Bud versus Doc there. But I think on the court between those kind of those star-laden teams, it would be really, really enjoyable and a uh, fun one. But that would be the team I think the Sixers should be looking to avoid the most, but not duck, because as I said, I don't, that's never the way to approach things. Yeah. And I, I, you know what? I do think that, that Milwaukee, you know, getting ready now, obviously getting Lopez back and, and getting healthy, that team is uh, the defending champs for a reason. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks look over here now for the last, what, 10 days of the season here that we have uh, 12 days, sorry, of the, of the season before we get into the playoffs. I wanted to ask you one last question, Jackson, you're looking at the Western conference. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the, the Sixers, Played pretty tough against a very, very good Phoenix team. Uh, hung around with them, showed that they can they can play with what is easily right now. I'd say the best team in the NBA with with the Suns. But in in the Western Conference, is there any team that you look at that could potentially beat Phoenix, or you think the Suns are are getting to the final no matter what? Yeah, I mean, I think really the only one for me would be if Golden State can get back healthy with with their big three. I mean, they played what like I think I saw something like eleven, 11 minutes, minutes yeah, this year yeah. with Clay. Clay drain step, which is a real bummer for just them and, and uh, NBA fans around the league. Obviously, that'd be my only team. I I think Memphis is really good, but I just I worry a little bit about their fifth starter in terms of how like in their point of attack defense. A little bit. This is nitpicking, but again, it's it's through lens of can anyone beat the best team in the NBA that's on pace for sixty seven wins or whatever. So you have to nitpick. But um, Golden State my only choice, and even then I I really don't know. But it's also just a hypothetical, right? We haven't we haven't seen Golden State healthy play against anyone for an extended period, but definitely the only one I just don't quite trust Memphis enough on either end. I think they're both their top 10 unit on both sides of the ball, but I think you got to be a little better than that to really compete with a team like Phoenix. That's just an absolute juggernaut and um, so cohesive and no real, uh, no, I mean, maybe a little bit of a weak point with, you know, maybe Chris Paul defending in space a little bit, but other than that, no huge weak point on either side of the floor. And that's, that's a really, that's a sign of a really, really great team. So uh, Golden State went at full strength, but that could just be a completely hypothetical. It could be like the, the West coast, the West coast version of, uh, you know, when this, when the Nets big three is all there. 
Um, but fingers crossed at the very least we get that next year with, you know, with, with Clay, Dre and, and Steph at their, at their peak again. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Warriors get back, get back and get healthy. Cause I, I would love to see that series eventually. And if right now it would be in the conference finals, Dallas, the, the Mavericks only a game behind uh, the dubs for third in the West. So they're right there too. So it's going to be interesting to see how everything shakes out. At least we got some exciting playoff races. Also some good news. If you're a Lakers hater, they're now out of the play in picture. So we'll see what happens there with LeBron and AD, uh, AD looking at coming back this weekend as well. We'll wrap things up there, Jackson. Thanks for joining me as always. And obviously we'll do this again soon. Yeah. always happy to talk and uh, even better when we get to talk uh, good games rather than blowouts. So glad we've moved past that, uh, that trend of, the last couple months. Yeah, 45 point losses aren't exactly fun to talk <laughs> about. Uh, okay, that'll do it for this episode. Like I mentioned off the top, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com as well.